0: Mark chapter 15. And we've been looking, we've been watching Jesus moving forward. And from the very beginning, when he starts his missionary journey, or he starts his his ministry, he knows that he has one ultimate destination. And he's right there. He's finally at that pivotal point. Point. Jesus has been arrested he is we talked last week he's went through his one his first set of trials the the religious set of trials um, and then this morning as we get, dig in um, to uh, mark chapter 15 we're gonna get into uh, the secular side of the trials that is eventually going to put Jesus to death and I want to start with one simple question have you ever thought about the power of one person the power that you may have, and I know some of you go, well, I'm insignificant. Well, I really don't mean anything. I don't have influence. I don't have power. I don't have a stage to preach from. So really, I'm not really that significant. Here's the thing, you are. You are very significant in the grand scheme of things because you could be the one person who could share the gospel message with someone, even just one person. It could be up to you to share the message with that one person person helen keller said i am only one but still i am one i cannot do everything but still i can do something and because i cannot do everything i will not refuse to do something that i can do and at the end of the day, that's the attitude that we all have to have, because it starts with one person. When we go back through the Bible and we read all through the Scriptures, New Testament, Old Testament alike, God chooses one person to do a mighty work. He, he chooses Noah. Out of that generation, he says, Noah, he's my man. He chose one person to do something amazing, to save the entire world. He went to Abraham. Abraham. Who's a nobody doing nothing? And he says, Abraham, I want you to lead my people. Okay, I mean, how many of us, if God came to us and said, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to pack up, I want you to leave everything, and I just want you to go," would we go? All right. Well, let me talk to my family first. Let me make sure that they're okay with that because I'm going to move all the way across the country, and and we. No, you, you just have to go, and that happened very similar to me. I, I'm not Abraham, I'm not comparing myself to Abraham, but my, you know, when, when we decided that we were going to look for a new church, I asked Teresa, I said, hey, I'm willing to go anywhere that the Lord calls us to go, you tell me where we can and where we can't go. Do you know her one thing that she said? Nowhere colder than it already is here. So she said, nowhere colder than Ohio. And I said, okay. And so I looked everywhere and she said, here's my one exception as long as I can fish. And I said, what if I find a place near Lake Michigan? And she says, sure. She's thinking like Toledo area, Lake Michigan, like way down, you know, at the end. I, I found a church and it was in the UP um, yeah, I didn't end up there. Um, but uh, anyways, you know, we find all of those. And then the very first winter that we were here, and we didn't ask our family. We just said, hey, this is where we're going. And God chose to bring us here. And the very first winter we were here, she says, you're a liar. Because <laughs> the very first winter, we actually had a cold winter. And it's like the only one in the last, you know, seven years that, that, that we've lived here. But when we think about those, God has taken one person and done a mighty work one man named Moses, one woman named Esther, one woman named Mary. Mary felt very insignificant, didn't she? She was just a teenage girl. "God, are you sure that you want to choose me?" she said. "Not me. I don't I don't come from means. I don't come from anything. How could you possibly choose me?" and she wondered. She she wondered to herself what kind of visitation this was. She was scared. And you may be Where you're sitting right now, God is trying to use you, and you're like, I don't know, God. I don't know if you can really use me in this case. You see, the power of one can go a very long way on the good side and also on the negative side as well. And so what I want us to do is we're going to dig in, and and we're going to look um, at Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at uh, a, a perplexed politician to start with. As we begin, we're going to focus on the impact of, of one man named Pilate. Pilate served as the governor of the southern half of Palestine and, and was directly responsible to Rome. His job description really had two primary descriptions or responsibilities. Number one, collect taxes. He was good at that. He, he could collect taxes. He had all of the Roman garrison there, so he was able to take the taxes. The other side of things was to keep the peace. He was also told to keep the peace, and he really, really struggled with this one. There was constant threats. There was constant revolts, much like the turmoil in the Middle East today. Incidentally, archaeology has confirmed that um, what we see in the Bible and what we read about the, in, in the Bible about Pilate, it actually happened. There's an ins- inscription of a tablet. It's in Caesarea, which was where he mainly stayed. He had a palace there, and that's where he stayed, was in Caesarea, right up along the Mediterranean Sea. That's where he spent most of his time. And we were when, while we were there, we actually saw that inscription that was there. Now, we would say, well, why were all of these um, threats, why were all of this chance, uh, why, why were, I can't talk today, there was all of this chance of revolution happening. Well, Pilate kind of brought some of it on himself. Well, we know that when he first came to power, he took his armies and he marched right into the city of Jerusalem. His troops carried the Roman banner, which was a complete image of Caesar, and he took it, they took it right up into the temple. And because of that... They protested, the the Jews protested for five days of a graven image in there. Pilate agreed that they would meet with the the Jewish people. When he chose to meet with them um, in secret, what he did was he surrounded the entire area and threatened to put them all to death. What did the Jews do? They just showed their necks and said, okay, we dare you, go ahead and do it. Pilate relented, he backed off, he didn't need a full revolution on his hands, he backed off. Sometime later, Pilate built an aqueduct. How did he finance this? He stole from the temple treasury to be able to pay for all of this. The people were angry. They started rioting in the streets. And what again, what did he do? He took some of his Roman soldiers and he hid them in regular plain clothes and they just started beating those protesters and those rioters with clubs. We actually read about this in Luke chapter 13 verse 1. It describes the brutal atrocities. There were some present at at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. You see, Caesar received several written complaints about this guy named Pilate. Pilate at this very moment is on the hot seat. Pilate's job is on the line. His neck is the one that's on the line. He could not afford another uprising of the Jewish people. And while we're going to primarily focus on the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15, we're going to jump to a couple of the others. We're going to look at Luke. We're going to look at Matthew as we go through this entire section. We learned last week that Jesus had two primary trials. He had the religious, and then he had the secular before Pilate and Herod. So today we're going to focus in on that second half. So let's put ourselves in Pilate's sandals and just feel a little bit of his dilemma. What is Pilate's dilemma in all of this? What um, deliberations did he have to wrestle with? And then what can we learn from his decision? So let's start with Pilate's dilemma. Look at verse 1. Mark 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate would only meet with the people for a certain time. It was in the morning until about noon. Well, they wanted to get there first thing. They were the first ones in line waiting to talk to Pilate. So they were in line at the palace when that opened up. It's incredible how much of what happens here fulfills prophecy. For example, the consultation, it takes us back to Psalm 71. In Psalm 71, we read, For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. It also fulfills Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. You see, they had consulted, but they needed Pilate to condemn Jesus to death. The Jewish people could not put Jesus to death. And because they couldn't, the only thing that they could do, because they needed to get rid of Jesus... It was time for Jesus to go according to them because they, he was just causing too much of an uproar. So what do they do? They bind him. And, and the fact that they bound Jesus at this moment, Jesus wasn't a threat, was he? Was he trying to escape? No, he, we, we learned this last week. When he was arrested, he actually saw his accusers coming and he walked towards them. He knew what he had to do. He wasn't trying to escape. He wasn't trying to run. He wasn't trying to cause any uproar. He was silent, but yet they still bound him. Why did they do that? Because they needed to show Pilate that he was a dangerous threat to public order. We see this in our culture as well. De- defendants, when they go before the judge, they just bring them in in their orange jumpsuits, right? Well, a good defense attorney, what's he want to do? He wants to. The defense attorney wants to put him in a nice suit, make him look like an upstandable man. Right? Is that a word, Scott? Upstandable? No. I'm. I, oh, I don't. I don't know. I figured you'd text me in a second, telling me I was wrong. So, um, <laughs> he does. It goes off all the time. Sometimes I'm just gonna read them to you. Um, but what happens next? They want him to look threatening. The word delivered here. The word delivered takes us back to Mark chapter 10, verse 33. Jesus declared, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Again, another prophecy that we see coming true. The Jewish leaders charge Jesus with blasphemy, but they know that that charge won't matter to Pilate, so they accuse him of treason. And that brings us to verse 2. Look there. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. The the word asked here is to accost with an inquiry. The word you is emphatic as Pilate asks a direct pointed question. And how does Jesus answer it? So you say, You are correct. It's noteworthy that the title king for Jesus is used six times in this very chapter. This was the same title that shook Herod up 33 years earlier. If we go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, when the wise men asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The religious leaders want Pilate to see Jesus as a threat, a threat to him, and ultimately a threat to Caesar as well. Verse 3, Tells us that the chief priests accused him of many things. And then we jump to verses four and five and we read, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. It literally reads, Jesus answered, No longer nothing. You see, these witnesses, they were just making accusations, they were not giving testimony. Why did Jesus not reply to anything? Because it was absolutely absurd of what he was saying, or what they were saying. It was obvious that Jesus was innocent. It takes us back again to Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But his dilemma became more pronounced. According to verse 10, he perceived that they had delivered Jesus, what? Out of envy. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4, Pilate declares to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. In other words, Pilate just looks at him and says, case dismissed. I mean, that's that's truly what he wants to bring about. Case dismissed. So let's look at Pilate's deliberation here. When Pilate couldn't dismiss his dilemma by telling the leaders to do their own lynching, he is forced to deliberate. And in the process, he tried at least five different ways to avoid having to decide. Pilate didn't want to have to decide. Pilate didn't see any wrong that this man had done. And so five different times, he tries to find a way to get out of it. Number one, he passes the buck. According to Luke chapter 23, verse 5, Pilate discovers that Jesus was from Galilee. Oh, he's from Galilee? Let's send him to Herod, because Herod rules that area, so they kick Jesus out. He has to travel all the way to Galilee for him to be able to see Jesus. And Luke chapter 23, verse 7, And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who... Was himself in Jerusalem at that time. So Herod was one who had murdered John the Baptist. He had threatened to kill Jesus in Luke chapter 13. Jesus is now since before King Herod. And in this moment, Jesus again is absolutely silent. He refuses to perform any miracles, he refuses to do any to answer any questions. Pilate saw Jesus as just some eccentric. Herod viewed him as an entertainer. The religious leaders followed Jesus, and according to Luke 23, verse 10, they were vehemently accusing him. They saw Pilate waffling. They saw Pilate going back and forth. Pilate wasn't gonna give them the answer they wanted, so what do they do? They put the screws to Herod. You have to kill him. You have to do something. And they they continued to just force the issue as much as they possibly could. When Herod didn't get what he wanted, he didn't do any miracles, and Jesus didn't do any miracles in front of Herod, he and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus. And what's he do? (laughs) He's right back, standing in the palace before Pilate. So first, he passes the buck. Number two, he looked for an easy way out. If he can't dismiss the case altogether, if he can't transfer it over to, to Herod, then maybe he can try a political maneuver. Look at verses 6 through 8. Now at the feast, he used to release uh, for them one prisoner from whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do, to do as he usually did for them. Now, so to keep a lid on the explosive, uh, explosiveness of Passover, the celebration that was happening, the uprising of a Messiah at any point, Pilate agreed to release one political prisoner each year, as long as there was no trouble. And in this case, he felt like this was one of those cases that he could appease the, pe- the people. And so Pilate, or the, Pilate brings out this guy named Barabbas. He was a zealot. They were all about overthrowing the the Roman rule. They were going to overthrow it at any cost. He was a murderer. He was part of the insurrection that had happened. Matthew chapter 27 verse 16 indicates that he was notorious. Pilate believed that if he allowed them to choose between the most despicable named Brabus and Jesus, obviously who were they going to choose? Yeah, they're going to let Jesus go. Mark chapter 15 verse 11 tells us that the leaders stirred up the crowd. To have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate's hope for an easy way out completely dashed at this moment. And the greatest exchange in history, Jesus was crucified on Barabbas' cross. Ultimately, the greatest exchange was for you and I. Jesus died on the cross that we should have all died on. And we need to always, always remember that. The main point is, is that Jesus exchanged his life for ours so that we could be changed. Number three, Pilate ignored good advice. A minute, a minute, Amid the maneuvering that was happening, Matthew chapter 27 verse 19 reveals that Pilate's wife sent him a message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. His wife is alarmed by a nightmare that she has. She goes and she sends a letter to her husband, have nothing to do with him, set him free, let him go, just you need to stay away from this situation. Notice that she refers to Jesus as what? Righteous. Tragically, Pilate chooses to ignore his wife. Number four, he appealed to reason. I mean, all of these are are ways that you and I would try to get out of a certain situation. And this time he goes, okay, nothing else has worked. I can't pass the buck. I can't send him away. So, okay, I'm going to appeal to the reason of the people. When he was not able to fully shut the door on the mob, Pilate asked in Mark chapter 15, verse 12, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? Notice that he says that you call him the king of the Jews. He's rubbing it in at this point, maybe even needling them just a little bit. The answer is deafening and unified. What do they say? Yeah. And the whole mob yelled, crucify him. Pilate then, again, he tries to reason with them in verse 14. Why? What evil has this man done? I'm reminded again, Isaiah chapter 53, and I encourage you this week, if you haven't done so, go back and read Isaiah 53. What a prophecy that's laid out for us. Isaiah chapter 53, verse nine says, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He'd done no violence, yet they still, what? They put him to death. They weren't at all interested in any type of irrational discourse. Have you ever had one of those conversations? It doesn't matter how rational you try to be. They're gonna take it somewhere else. They're gonna get personal. They're gonna take it in a place that it should have never went. Be very careful, especially on social media, when you post something. Or when you start debating someone, be very, very careful in those moments. They weren't up for rational disc- discourse. And again, what do they cry out? Again, they cry out, crucify him. He tried to please the people. When the crowds cried out to have Jesus crucified, we read in in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now here's the thing. In ancient times, in, in the time of the Romans, you either were scourged, you were either beaten and flogged, or you were put to the cross. It was one or the other, Someone didn't go through both. Do you know why? Because most of the time, people didn't make it through the scourging process. Now, here's the thing. What does Mark do? He spends a lot of time, and we talked about this two weeks ago. He spends a lot of time of what happens in the garden. He spends a lot of time with Jesus praying and the pressure that Jesus was under while he was there in the Mount of Olives. But here, he just says he was handed over, he scourged him, and he crucified him. That's it. That's all we get. That's all we hear. But we know that there was a lot that went into this. The usual instruments, a leather whip, small shards of bone or glass, pieces of rock, metal, reeds, very thin reeds were used. A lot like, I mean, if you've ever been hit with a fishing rod, the tip of a fishing rod, (laughs) ouch, ouch. If you grew up, not today, but if you grew up 20, 30, 50 years ago, and what your parents do? They made you go get your own switch? Yeah, and, and when you had to go get that switch, I think part of the agonizing part and for the kid was choosing which stick, and, and the parents inside, while they were inside, they were laughing at the kid choosing one, because if I choose this one, he's going to break my back. If I choose this one, it's too small, and he's going to send me back out, so I have to find just the right one. And when you were hit with that and the whipping that would happen, what they they would do is they would would first use those reeds and they would would bend them over a a stone or a, um, a wooden piece that was about this high. They would bend them over, stretching out their entire back, stretching out their legs, and they would beat them with those reeds. That would soften the tissue. It would start to build up blisters underneath of the skin. And then when they would pick up the cat of nine tails, that leather with uh, the bone and the glass, the metal, it would rip into the flesh. It would completely destroy. And some commentators have said and some have, have noticed from records that the internal organs were actually showing. Mark just kind of passes over it, but I want to make sure that you understand what your Messiah did for you. Jesus is then presented back to the people. Pilate was hoping that they would relent, but he misjudged their venom. The smell of blood was flowing in the air, and they were not to be dissuaded. They were going to do whatever it took to put Jesus to death. And now we come to Pilate's decision. When Pilate was faced with a dilemma, he deliberated as long as he possibly could. Now he must decide. Unfortunately, his decision was more of a non-decision than it was anything else. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. No matter how hard Pilate tried to scrub, no water was going to take off the blood of his hands. on his hands. It wasn't going to get the guilt out of his life. Pilate hands down the sentence. He hands down a sentence at a place called Gabbatha. Archaeologists have found it. It's about 10 feet under what is now the street level. We read about it in John chapter 19, verse 13. It's a stone pavement in front of his judgment seat. The area includes a flagstone inscribed by Roman soldiers with a pattern of etchings on which they would have played the game of kings. This was a dice game in which the playing piece was a prisoner. Mocked as a trumped up king, which is exactly what happened to Jesus. We read about this in, in Mark chapter 15 verses 16 through 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, the color of royalty. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, a reed that was to look like a scepter, and spitting on him, And kneeling down in homage, they were making fun of the people for worshiping him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him to be crucified. They led him outside of the city. To think again of the pain that Jesus has went through with the scourging that has happened, they're going to put a piece of cloth on him. Have you ever had a scab that's kind of seeping a little bit and your pants stick to it and then it dries and then you peel it off and the pain is just inflicted on Jesus all over again as they they put the purple on him, the robe on him, and then they rip it off of him. And any wounds that had started to stop are now ripped right back open. This is what your Messiah did for you. He chose to go to the cross for you. Listen, we don't hear this preached a lot in our churches today because everything has to be uplifting and fun and, and happy. But this is what your Jesus did for you. Your King went to the cross. He did it for you. And next week Jared is going to be bringing the message for us and he's going to look at um, the death of Jesus, the, the cries of Jesus on the cross. And we're going to see what Jesus ultimately does for you that he listen, at any moment, during any of this time, there was a whole legion of angels waiting to come and bring Jesus home. All Jesus would have had to have done is said, I'm out. Come and get me, Dad. And they would have been there like that. They would have shown up. They would have cared for Jesus. They would have taken him up. He would have been healed and he would have been back at the right hand of the Father, which is where he belongs anyways. Yet he chose to stay for you. Now it's our time to decide. If you are not saved, if you are not saved, it is time to make a decision. Like Pilate, you have a dilemma on your hands right now. Maybe you've been deliberating for a very long while. I want to tell you that today is the day that you need to decide. Quit deliberating. Quit putting it off. Quit trying to rationalize everything else. It's time to make the decision. Because here's the thing: one day we are all going to die. And when we die, there's only one of two places that we can go. And one of those, none of us want to go to. Oh, it's going to be a party. (laughs) Only if you're in heaven. Because it won't be in the other place. And remember this not to decide is to decide. Not to decide is to decide, and that is exactly what Pilate did. If you recognize that you have a dilemma dilemma and you've deliberated long enough, will you decide here this morning to receive your Redeemer? You can make that decision here today. And I encourage you, if you have not made that decision today you can do it. We're going we're gonna to sing a couple of more songs I'm going to be in the back. And if you need to make that decision, I want you to come back and talk to me. I'll walk you through exactly what that means. If you need prayer in your life, this can be that time. You're struggling with something right now. You're a Christian, but there's a sin in your life that just keeps rearing its ugly head. You need someone to talk to. You need someone to be accountable to. We're here for you. I'm going to be in the back. The elders are going to be in the back. We'd love to to help you along this path. If you want to place your membership here, you can make that decision as well. Now it's time for communion. I want to focus now on the power of the only perfect man who ever lived. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we remember what he went through for us. I want you to listen to these words. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we prepare to take of these Instruments, these emblems. They're on the front table, on the back too, and on the sides. I'm going to pray for us. And I want you just to deliberate on these things that we've talked about here today. I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. I want you to reflect and do a spiritual inventory of where you're at in your life. I want you to know that you can repent of your sins. And, and we're called to do that over and over and over again. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that as well. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you. So